Well, we thank God for good things that are happening. You know, there's many, many trials, many difficulties, but we just thank the Lord that in spite of all that, the Lord is coming through. God is beginning to, to bless and move. And we want to see God moving in many, many different places and, you know, in the nations of the earth. Now, I've been doing a series on Zion, and uh, we've had a bit of a break. For, I think I shared something else last time. But I want to just come, to come back to that, to that theme again this morning. And I want to look at bringing back the ark, bringing back the ark. And we're going to do it. The, first of all, they did it the wrong way. And then after that, that they did it the correct way. And sometimes you look at something negative, but it's good in a way because we can learn from mistakes that others have made. And hopefully, by the grace of God, you know, we don't make them ourselves. But, you know, when we think about we think about worship and worshiping God and spirit and in truth. And of course, who comes to mind? It is David, King David. And he's one of the, our great patterns, our great role models, you know, of a worshiper. He loved the Lord with all his being. He, he loved to worship God. And familiar scripture in Acts 13 and verse 22. It speaks of David. He was a man after God's own heart. He was one who would fulfill all of my will, all of my will. You know, I like that verse. And he, Number one, he was, he was a, a man after God's own heart. And I want to encourage you, pray that you would be, you, you would be a man, you'd be a woman after God's own heart and just have such a, 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 a love, not just to know about God, but have to, to have intimacy, to have a relationship, to have communion, to have fellowship, like David with the living God. And it says about David also, who will fulfill all of my will, all of my will. You know, it's one thing to seek to do the will of God, but another thing to to do all of his will. You know, some people, they do the will of God where, where it agrees with them and what they like, but some things which maybe are not, they're not too happy about, they're, they're, they're not ready in some areas to obey. But it says of David, he was one who, his desire in his heart was to fulfill all of the will of God. And we think of David, he loved the presence of God. He loved the presence of God. And so after he was anointed the third time at Hebron, Hebron was south of, of Jerusalem, he was anointed as, as king for a third anointing, and it was over all of Israel. And very soon after that anointing in Hebron, then he came to Jerusalem. He came to Jerusalem and there at Jerusalem, at Zion, the enemies were there, the Jebusites were there. And we read how God gave David a great victory, and, and he was able, and his mighty men, Joab and the others, were able to drive out the Jebusites, who'd been there for hundreds and hundreds of years, to drive them out of Zion 
and of course Zion is within Jerusalem. And, and then one of the first things that he desired to do was to bring back the ark, because the ark of the covenant was, was not there in Jerusalem. But David, he loved the presence of God. And the ark of the covenant, and you know, Eric has been sharing excellent message this morning on washings and how that, you know, if we're going to see the glory of God come back, there's the need for, for washings. And, and not just one, you know, continual, continual washings and cleansings so that we're purified and ready, you know, for the presence of God. And so that was the heart of David. That was the heart of David. So when he comes, when he comes to Zion and in Jerusalem, one of his first is things that, that, he, that he must do is to bring the ark, which is, a, which is at another town in the same province of Judea. It's in Judea, but, uh, and there it had been for about 20 years. It had remained uh, in the house of Abinadab in a place called Kyrgyz Jerem, Kyrgyz Jerem in, in, in Judah, in the, in the province or the state of Judah. And so David, he sought to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Mount Zion in Jerusalem. And as we realize, that Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, it dwells in the Holy of Holies of the, uh, the tab- it dwelt in the Holy of Holies of the Tabernacle of Moses. And that Ark, it represents the presence of God. The Ark, it, it represents the, the presence of God. It represents the glory of God. Because where the ark was in the Holy of Holies, there was a literal, manifest presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God, the glory and the power of the living God. In fact, really, that was one of the greatest achievements of David, was to bring the ark from Kyrgyz Jerem, you know, back to Zion in Jerusalem. And the New Testament, this is way back in the Old Testament, you know, David lived David lived, you know, many, you know, something like a thousand years before Christ. But yet it speaks about David and the tabernacle of David and the ark, you know, in in the New Testament. And in Acts chapter 15, and this is the first council of the of the church, the church leaders in Jerusalem, they gathered together for like a, a council meeting, a, a board meeting, uh, because there was some because Paul had been on his first missionary journey, and many Gentiles had been saved, and some of those, those Gentiles, they were not uh, circumcised, and uh, so there was this, this big council meeting. The leaders had gathered together to decide concerning the, the, the Gentiles. And in Acts 15 and verse 16, it says, And this I will return, and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. And then verse 17, that the residue or the remainder of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, says the Lord who does all these things. Now, in Acts 15, this is the first council they had in Jerusalem, and the real, I mean, the main issue of that meeting was regarding the Gentiles who'd been saved, but then, and, and then what was required of them. 
Did they have to keep all the all the rules and regulations that the Jews that the Jews did? And and many Jews, especially in Jerusalem, they were struggling having the uncircumcised Gentiles in their fellowship. And and James, James, he's the the half brother of the Lord Jesus. And he was, seems to be he was the, the senior one or the senior elder or the senior pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And he quotes from the Old Testament. He quotes from one of the prophets in the Old Testament called Amos. And there he's quoting Amos. And, he speak, and he's speaking, Amos is speaking prophetically about this tabernacle of David. And in Amos 9 and verse 11 and 12, it says, in that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen and close the breaches thereof. And I will raise up his ruins and I will build it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and of all the heathen, which are called by my name, says the Lord that does this. Now, what's all this about? James here, the leader of the New Testament church, he's saying that the church is a revival or a restoration of David's tabernacle and that the Gentile nations would seek its covering. And so Amos speaks of the rebuilding of David's worship on Mount Zion. I mean, David did it in his time. But it's a pattern of what will be in the last days and in our time. And he speaks of you know, rebuilding David's worship on Mount Zion. And so David's tabernacle was very simple. Was very simple. It was like, not like you know, Moses' tabernacle. There were many sections of the three sections of the tabernacle and various pieces of furniture and, and all the curtains and the hangings. And, you know, it was, it was quite complex. But... David's tabernacle is very simple. It's just, it's just the Ark of the Covenant. Just the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant, when it came to Zion, it was placed on Zion's hill in Jerusalem. And above it was like a tent, a tent just to protect it. And people could look in. And it was, it was very simple. And, of course, representing the, the, the presence of God. The Ark represents the presence of God the glory of God, the power of the living God. And Amos speaks of this rebuilding of David's worship in Mount Zion. So this tabernacle of David, just the Ark of the Covenant, covered by a simple tent. And the early church fathers, and we see this from Acts 15, they understood that they understood this to show that God did not want at that time all the rituals and traditions of the, the tabernacle of Moses. He did not want that in the early church and, and all the sacrifices and the animal sacrifices and the shedding of blood of, of the goats and the bulls and the, and the sheep. Um, he did not want that, but it was Moses' tabernacle to be rebuilt in the church, but the tabernacle of Mo the tabernacle of David, and so the apostles and elders, they knew that God did not want to literally rebuild a tent. They knew that God wanted 
to, to rebuild a tent that God would dwell in. They understood that what God wanted was to restore, was that spiritual experience that David had in his tabernacle. In other words, a continual worship of God through music, through music and through singing. And when David brought the, back the ark, he placed it in an open tent so that all the people could behold it, all the people could see it. He called together and supported you know, thousands of singers and those who played instruments so there would be this continuous worship before the Lord. And the, t- the, the time that this, from the time when the Ark of the Covenant was brought to Zion's hill until the time it was taken at the dedication of Solomon's temple uh, was a period of about a time period of about 44 years because David, for 33 years, he, he, he reigned for 33 years um, you know, in Jerusalem. And then it was about four years later that the, the temple was the temple of Solomon began to be built, and it took seven years to, to build. So it works out about 44 years um, that, 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 that there was David's tabernacle in operation and that the glory of God could be you know, openly, openly seen and openly beheld by all men. And David's tabernacle was, was so simple, the most simple yet most glorious of the dwelling places of God in the scriptures. Now, I want to look at David's first attempt to bring back the ark from Kirjath-Jerim to Mount Zion in Jerusalem. And the first time it failed, the first attempt to bring back the ark, it ended in disaster. It ended in failure. And, you know, David was angry with God, but he had to learn certain things, and there had to be certain cleansings and washings. And then after that, then the second attempt to bring back the ark, it was successful, and it came. And with great rejoicing, you know, the ark was, was brought back. So that first time, which we'll look at now, it, 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 the story did not begin as a happy one. And we read, reading from 2 Samuel chapter 6, 1 to 5. 2 Samuel chapter 6, 1 to 5. Maybe let, let, let's read, let's stand, shall we, and, and let's read these verses together. 2 Samuel chapter 6, 1 to 5, let's stand, let's read these verses together. Okay, 1, 2. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baali of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was, of, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. 
and Ahio went before the ark, and David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of firwood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. You may be seated. So if we go back to the thing on the screen, uh, in verse 5, we see, you know, all Israel, all Israel is, is celebrating before the Lord. And it's, it's a big occasion. The singing, there's playing of instruments, there's great rejoicing. And it's almost as if most of the nation shows up. You know, it, was a, it was, speaks about 30,000 men. I mean, it was a huge event, a colossal event. And this ark, as we see, it was the ark was set on a new cart. It was set on a new cart. And that was the first mistake. That was the first mistake. The ark should not have been placed upon a cart in order to be transported. You know, David thought he could bring the ark to Jerusalem on a new cart. And where did they get the idea of a new cart? Well, we read in early the first chapters of 1 Samuel that in Shiloh, there was a battle. We, we read there the children of Israel were backslidden, and because they were backslidden, God's judgment came, and what happened is many of them got killed, many of the Israelites got killed, and the Philistines won the victory, and the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant. And then when the, when the Ark of the Covenant went, was placed in the temple, the Philistines' temple, Temple of Dagon, then, you know, all kinds of, of tumors came upon the men of those places. And so, you know, God's judgment fell on the Philistines. And so then people were getting people were getting these terrible tumors. People were dying, men were dying. And so naturally the Philistines wanted to get rid of the ark. And so what they did is they hitched up the the, the ark and 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 they put the they put the Ark of the Covenant on a on a brand new cart, and that cart was was led by the it was take, driven by the oxen, and it went straight towards the the nearest Israel, Israel, Israeli city, Israelite city, and so the Philistines transported the Ark on a new cart. That was it was it was their way. It was the it was the way it was the way of the world, and David thought well. We can just do it the same way as the Philistines did it. But no, that was not acceptable. Uh, you know, the glory of God will not come because we invent new, some new way of doing things. It's very clear the ark should not have been placed on a new cart, uh, but it should have been carried on the shoulders of the, of the Levites, and in particular the Kohathites, which was a branch of the Levites. So... In the ark, in the sides of the ark, there were rings, and then there was a pole that went through those rings. And when they were traveling with the ark, the ark was to be carried on the shoulders, not, not of any of the 12 tribe, but particularly just on one tribe, the Levites. But not, but not every Levite could carry the, carry the ark. It was only those, ones, only those ones from a certain branch of the Levites, which was called the children of 
Kohath, the Kohathites. Only that branch of the Levites could carry the ark. And they had to carry it in a special way. They carried on these poles, which would go through the rings in the side of the ark, and it would be placed on the shoulders of the Levites, the shoulders of the Levites. And that we see that in, in Numbers chapter 4, in verses 4 to 15, and also Numbers 7 and verse 9, 7 and verse 9. So the scripture is very clear how the ark is to be transported. And so... In two Sam, getting back to 2 Samuel in chapter 6, those oxen who were, who were you know, driving, the, 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 who were pulling the, the new cart, those oxen represents natural strength. And it was Uzzah. You know, when the, when the ark must have gone through a rough place, and so Uzzah, the son of Abinadab, he stretched out his hand to touch that ark so it would not fall over, to, to, to steady it. But then God's judgment came, and God struck Uzzah dead, and he died immediately, immediately. And not only did David do, the first thing David did wrong was he put the ark on a new cart. Now, the second thing that was wrong is Uzzah and his brother Ahio, they should not have been driving that cart. They should not have been, they should not have been uh, driving that cart. They were, not the, they were not even Levites. They were from the tribe of Judah. And uh, where the ark had been from, where Kyrgyz Jerem, was all, another name for Kyrgyz Jerem was Baale, and that was uh, one of the towns in Judah. And so... You know, user he tried to user tried to steady the ark, and he was struck dead, and he died. He died for his presumption, and we will never be able to steady the glory of God. You know, with with our own strength, and when all this happened, we read in verse eight that David he was displeased with the Lord. He was angry with the Lord. And he was absolutely stunned of, of what had happened. And this whole procession, which was started at Kurdish-Jerim, was going on the way to Zion, just suddenly stopped with the death of Uzzah. And Uzzah and his, his father, I mean the family, they were not Levites. And in the law, the law of Moses, we read... In Numbers, also in Exodus 25, 14, and 15, it prohibits the use of a cart for transporting the ark. And a human, and also it tells us in Numbers 4 and verse 15, that a human hand was not allowed to touch the ark. And David violated these things. And then the consequence of that was that Uzzah. Uzzah died. He was judged. David had a vision from God. So David had a vision from God. It was seeking to do the will of God. So his desire was right. His desire was right. He wanted to bring the ark back to Zion. And, of course, the, that, that desire in his heart was 
was born of God. It was, born of, it was from the Lord. It was right. But the problem was he was doing a good thing, something that was right, in a wrong way, in a bad way. You know, many churches today try to bring the music of the world into the church, thinking that, well, that's, uh, by reason of that, people will be attracted and get saved. And, the, and they think that is worship. So the goal is to see the lost saved, which is a good goal, a good desire, but it's not God's way to have a lot of you know, rock music and hard rock mu- music and strong beat and contemporary music. You know, sometimes you, you, these things going on, strobe lights going on and off, and, you know, you, you, it's the atmosphere of a nightclub rather than the house of the Lord. So it's not enough just to do the will of God, but we need to do, but we need to do the will of God, you know, in the right way, in his way, and not ours. And in verse 7, it tells us the reason that God struck, the, that God struck user dead, and it was because, it says, it says in verse 7, it was because of his error. In the, in my, in the margin of my Bible, it's got because of his irreverent, irreverence. And if we have the fear of God, will do things God's way. And a person who fears God is only concerned about what, what God says about him. A person who fears God is not concerned about what man says about him, only what God says about him. And the Lord's presence does not come where the Lord is not reverenced. And here God's presence was returning the ark was returning. It was heading in the direction of Zion. And the glory of God was coming to Mount Zion. But sometimes the stronger God's manifest glory, the swifter and more severe his judgment for irreverence. Irreverence is basically just a lack of the fear of the Lord. And David, David it says, it says there that David was afraid of the Lord that day. And in verse 9, you know, we see that th- those who are afraid draw back. They draw back from the presence of the Lord. Like at Mount Sinai, when God's presence came on the mountain of Sinai and the thundering and the trumpets and so on, the fire on the mountain. The, the Israelites, they drew back from that. They were afraid. And, you know, David was afraid of the Lord that day. Those who are afraid, they draw back from the presence of the Lord, like like the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. But those who fear God draw towards him, like Moses came up to the mountain at Mount Sinai. He came, he drew, drew near him. So David had been full of zeal in seeking to bring the ark of the Lord back. And that was, that was what God wanted. And David must have wondered, you know, if my best was judged as unacceptable, how on earth can the ark come back to Zion? He had zeal, he had passion, but really he didn't have wisdom and knowledge. 
and it ended in great disaster. It ended with the death of Uzzah. And then it tells us in verse 10 and verse 11, verse 10 and verse 11, so David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto the city of David. That's where Zion was. But David carried it aside into the house of Obadidim, the Gittite. Now, Obadidim obviously lived very, very close by to where that, where the ox, the oxen stumbled, and so, and and it says, and the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obadidim. So tempor- temporarily, the ark was placed in the house of Obadidim, the Gittite. In fact, it tells us it was it was three months. Three months, the ark of the Lord stayed there. And during that three months, the scripture says that God blessed Obadidim. And he, God blessed Obadidim, and he blessed all his household. You know, Daddy, Daddy Obadidim was blessed. Mother Obadidim was blessed. Children and sons and daughters of Obadidim, they were all blessed. The whole household was blessed greatly. And the ark stayed in his home. And God mightily blessed his household. And I, wonder, I believe God's presence can come not just in the church, but God's presence wants to come in our homes, in our homes. And just as God blessed the home, the ark was there. The ark was in the, in the house of Obadina. And God's ark, his presence, wants to come in a literal, in a, in a, in a literal way that even we, we don't just know about intellectually, but there's a, there's a sense of God's presence in our homes. And God wants to mightily bless our homes as he blessed, you know, the house of Obadidim. And uh, when we were newly married, my wife and I, we were pioneering a church up in the north of New Zealand. And sometimes on Friday night, we would get the young people and we'd just go on a street corner and we'd start singing choruses and, and giving out tracts, witnessing to people. And... We got talking one night to a to a, a trainee teacher who was coming up, to, who was in Kaitaia and training there, and and he was interested in asking questions, and so, and then then after we finished, we invited him back to our little little unit, a little little flat. It was very simple, and you know he he got to the the flat where we were staying, and he sort of looked around, looked around. We we didn't have much in those days, and the. The table had a big hole in the middle, and the, the couch had a hole in a certain part of the couch. And he looked at around, looked at everything, and then he came out. And then he said, "Then he said, then he said." He asked us the question. He says, "I feel peace in this home," and he says, "Well, what is it? What is it?" And I said, "Well, you know, it's Jesus. Jesus dwells in this home. He dwells with us. He's here. He's in our lives." And uh, and then we, we went through the gospel, and then we, the, the three of us, we all we knelt down by that couch with a hole in the couch, and we prayed the sinner's prayer, and he invited the Lord into our life, into, into, into his heart, into, into his life, and was, was wonderfully saved. And then, he kept, and then he went back to his own place, which was down in the southern part of the North Island, and then he wanted his wife to get saved. And, and, and anyway, it worked out that, we were going to a conference down that way, and we went down and we stopped by their house, and we had the joy of leading his wife uh, to the Lord. But, you know, he said he felt the presence of God. And, you know, as in our homes, you know, as we, 
as we worship God, as we sing, as we rejoice, as we talk about the Lord, as we read the scriptures, you know, that all creates the presence of the Lord in our homes. And God wants, you know, to fill our homes with his presence more and more, like Obadiah. And, you know, all they were all blessed. Obadiah, his wife, his children, they were all blessed. They were all greatly blessed. You know, when the ark comes, when the ark of God comes, when the presence of God comes, well, you know, all kinds of things can, can, can happen. So let's pray. Let's pray that, you know, God would, God would come. God would come in our homes. And God would prepare our homes for the presence of the Lord. And as, you know, Eric was sharing in, in Sunday school this morning, you know, if the ark is going to come into our homes and into, our into the church, into the sanctuary in greater ways, you know, there has to be, you know, fresh cleansings, fresh cleansing. And fresh cleansing, doing things God's way, according to his will and not ours. And, you know, fresh cleansings and, you know, seeking to praise and worship. As we praise the Lord, as we worship the Lord you know, in, our, in our homes, here in our church, it's creating an atmosphere for the presence of God to come in greater ways. Let's pray. Lord, truly, Lord, we ask you, give us a hung fresh hunger and a fresh thirst after you, the living God. Lord, even as the deer pants for the, for the waters, so our hearts pant for you. Oh, God, we want your presence. We want your presence in, in new ways, in fresh ways, in our home, in our church in the sanctuary. And Lord, we pray, Lord, help us to learn from this this morning, Lord, that we must do things in your way, in your order, in the fear of the Lord, in your way, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we pray, Lord, truly, you'd help us not our will, but yours be done. Lord, help us to do your will. And Lord, we pray, Lord, even as we've heard in Sunday school, cleanse us, cleanse us, wash us. Lord, fresh washings, fresh washings. Lord, even things in our life which we don't even realize are there. Lord, bring them to the surface. Uh, allow circumstances that these things will come to the surface so we can see those spots, those wrinkles, and we can cry out to you for cleansing. Lord, come. Cleanse us afresh. Prepare us for your glory. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that even as we praise you, as we worship you, as we sing unto you, Lord, that creates an atmosphere for your presence to come. Lord, help us to love your presence, to cultivate your presence. May we have 
a great reverence for you. May the fear of the Lord increase in our lives. Help us to do things your way, not ours. Oh, God, speak, Lord. Just let the Lord speak. Lord, seal this word to each of our hearts. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Musicians, come. Just before, just before the musicians, we sing our final song, I just want to share a little testimony. And it's about, it's about, his name is Dan Von Veren, and he was from South Africa. And it was in the early 1900s, over 100 years ago. And there was an American missionary, John G. Lake, God used, and he saw great revival, he saw great healings. And he, he, he experienced the presence of God in, in some wonderful ways. And this man, this man, his name, Don Von Veren from South Africa, he had tuberculosis. And he, the doctors gave him nine months to live. And he had a friend of his, and the friend of his wrote to him a letter, and it was, it was about the meetings that John G. Lake was having, and about those meetings. And he spoke in the letter, a, a drunken man was healed, an invalid was unable to walk, was able to walk, the community was impacted. And so this man with TB, he crawled under a tree, just determined to, to meet God. His hunger for God became bigger than anything else in his life. His heart reached out to God, and he broke through the veil. In other words, he you know, had a breakthrough into the presence of God, into God's presence, and God came down. In 10 minutes, he was totally healed, totally healed from tuberculosis, as God got a hold of his life and filled him with his power and his glory. He'd been saved. His wife was unsaved. And for 18 years, he'd prayed for his wife. That night, he went home. And she looked at him for two minutes. And she realized he was healed. Without saying a word, she fell on her knees and says, pray for me, Dan. For God's sake, I must find God today. He had 11 children. He and his wife began, so his wife got saved. Then his 11 children, he and his wife began praying. Within a week, all of them, all of those 11 children were saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit. He went to his brother's farm Apparently 19 families had gathered. They were all saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit. And God so filled him with his glory. And one morning he said, and one morning the Lord spoke to him and said, go to Pretoria. Pretoria is the capital of South Africa. Go to Washington, D.C. And he said, and God said, I will see, 
I will send you to various members of parliament. And the premier, or the president, at that time was Lewis Booth. And, he t and, and, and Lewis Booth, the president of the country, had heard about the miracles that John G. Lake was doing. And Premier Booth told John Lake, I have known this man, Von Veren, since he was a boy, when he came into my office before he spoke. And so Von Veren went to the, the office of the Premier, the president of the country, and he said, before he spoke, I began to shake in my chair. That's what the Premier, the president said. I cried out to God. Von Veren looked, and he talked like God. And, and I gather he came to the Lord. And von Veron then went to the Secretary of State and others, judges, lawyers, until every high official in the land, they knew there was a God, they knew there was a Christ, they knew there was a Saviour, they knew there was a baptism in the Holy Spirit. And because von Veron had really hungered after God, he went up and down the land like a burning fire. And, you know, when the glory comes, when that ark you know, came to Mount Zion and the glory comes. You know, it's like revival coming forth. And we're coming into, you know, great days of great glory and great power. Amen. Amen. God bless you.